0: Yeah it might, but uh Get ready for the
1: world's uh, greatest Arsenal podcast. Welcome to another podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Enjoy the show.
0: Can you hear me, boys? Hello and welcome to another episode of Guns in the Yellow Bins. My name is Fergus. I'm your host. Sorry, I've got multiple audio going on here. I've changed my office around a little bit and I've got two screens, and one of the screens is my ear a couple of seconds later. Uh, I'm going to get rid of that. Now I can hear myself, guys. Um, I think my technology has gotten a little bit worse than uh, Big Tony's at this rate. We've got in the green room seven Big Tonies, um, but we can't hear any of them. Uh, Owen, um, Osiris, guys. Yeah, by the looks of it how, how how are you doing owen
2: uh how am i doing in terms of arsenal or how am i doing in terms of real life in real life i suppose at <laughs> real life great everything's going swell but on the arsenal front uh i'd say it's it's funny how quickly things can turn because it's anything but swell um at the minute but um i'm looking forward to diving into it
0: and um back after a few weeks. It's a few weeks or a few months.
1: Uh, Dan Potts. Can't even remember, mate, but it's a pleasure to be back on either way. Um, I just love the audio issues and the technical problems already. I mean, it's just it's just nice to have Trev nowhere near us and we're still having problems. Do you know what I mean? So it's always one. It doesn't matter whether it's Trev, whether it's you know, Kenny Ken, whether it's Tony, there's always one of us, man. But I'm good, Fergus. Good uh, to be back, man. Uh, and the thing is, you know what I'm like—a stickler for
0: like having it all working right as well. So this is that's really good. Fu- that's why it thats why it makes even
1: funnier, because <laughs> you're a perfectionist, bro, and it's just funny when this stuff like this happens. Oh I no, know. no, no! It's
0: driving, driving me nuts. Listen, um, before we start this show, uh, and hopefully Tony can get himself sorted out. If not, Will, it'll just be the three of us for a short while. Um, I thought it was really important to mention Rocky Castle. It's 21 years since we lost uh, Rocky. I was uh, not fortunate enough to see the guy play live, um, but uh, Owen, our Potsy, uh, Potsy, probably a little bit, on un- you would have been young at that point. Um, very young. You seen him yeah, play? I was
1: very young. <clears throat> very, very young. And um, I probably did see him play when I was very young, but not for Arsenal, if I'm honest. He was probably at Man City or Leeds or somewhere else um, when he was playing. Uh, but I was very young. So um, all I'd remember is, looking back in history and seeing what a fantastic guy the guy was. And I think in 89, he was a massive part of what we did then. I remember him scoring one of the best goals I've seen against Manchester United. And I think when you look at that goal that he scored where he tripped Schmeichel, not only did he ship Schmeichel, he's managed to get it past two of the best centre midfielders that the league has ever seen in Paul Lintz and Brian Robson. And for me, that's why that goal is so special. And it just sums up Rocky, you know, so uh, very, very sad. And it still is. Really sad when you talk about it. It's strange twenty that, that that far on, and people still get upset when they talk about it. it just shows what a legend the guy was. Owen, um, first of all, did you um, ever see Michael ever play? And um, also,
2: um, what about Rocky? Did you see Rocky either? I always thought it was Schmeichel myself. <laughs> yeah, Schmeichel, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> um, plenty of times. But uh, to be honest with you, Rocky, not really, not really. I don't really have very. uh many memories of Rocky playing for the Arsenal, but what I do have memories of is my dad talking about about Rocky, obviously the 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 pictures we see on the anniversaries and stuff like that on social media. But for me, my big, big real introduction to Rocky was um, uh, through Ryan, uh, Rocky's son, who's been a, a guest on our podcast uh, numerous times. And I think Dan has met, met him as well on the podcast and stuff. And to be honest with you, <clears throat> it was only through... And uh, do you want to know what? I'm I'm quite happy it worked out this way because I got to meet Ryan with no sort of um, preconception of how he should be because of his dad, you know, as I say, it was quite sheltered to maybe his dad's legacy. And it was only through Ryan that I really started to dive into that there. Um, But above all else apart from the fact that look everybody knows the technical skill that uh david Rowcastle had on a football pitch but i think the one thing that you hear everybody say is how much of a gentleman that he was you know he was a he was not only a legend on the football pitch but off it as well and i think <clears throat> something that uh he would be proud of is maybe the legacy that he's left because his children not only ryan but his sister as well are two absolute legends of human beings as well and, and i'm i'm glad to call ryan a friend now so um yeah, no, it does. Every, well, I, I think I think every year it hits, it hits deep now that you have that personal connection too. I was with you uh, in the tolly uh, <laughs> the, the last time you were
0: over when you met Ryan. Uh, Tony, I don't know if we've, uh, have we got you, have we not? Have you got Trevor's Gremlins? Because uh, obviously Trevor hasn't made it tonight um, because uh, he's got something going on uh, at home. So uh, you've obviously borrowed his broadband. How are you getting on, Tony? Do you Can you talk to us? That's a no. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's look at this game next. It's we're looking at the Arsenal uh, visit to Selhurst spark. It was eight o'clock on a Monday evening kickoff, um, and uh, you know it was it was what we would have thought probably. Well, every game is a must-win game, but it was a game that we went in there thinking, like you know, after the weekend, and uh, clearly Spurs had clawed some goals back against us. Uh, in the Premier League, and goal difference may be very, very important in this run into the uh, into um, the league. Is is he back? No, he's not. Uh, goal difference might might be um, very important in the run into the top four, top three uh, position. Um, so you know, going into this game, Owen, what what were your
2: expectations leading up to it? I, you know, go on. Um, I think that people were potentially overlooking this game from the get go. You know the work that Patrick Vieira has been doing with Crystal Palace and um how formidable he's he, he's you know turned them into. Uh, I know that sometimes the results don't sway their way, but their performances have definitely taken a step up um since his appointment. But for me, look, I, I always thought probably like everybody else that we had everything in in our Arsenal to go out and and, and put them away. Um, but from the opening few minutes, I think that the thing that stood out to me was the fact that we looked like the side that were really feeling the nerves. You know, the, we looked like we were feeling the occasion and the pressure. Um, obviously, there was uh, a couple of changes with uh, Kieran Tierney falling out of the lineup, which I'm sure we can dive into a bit later on. But minimal changes, probably that would be the team under the circumstances that everybody would have put out. But the difference was just the contrast between the two sides was just stark it was it was insane mm. you know they, they looked like the team that were um potentially fighting in the Champions League places and we looked like the the mid table side you know and 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 potentially you could almost say the Crystal Palace essentially are on the beach because they're pretty pretty much safe as, as far as more and and they're not really going to claim into any uh European places uh so they didn't really have much to go for in this game where it was the complete opposite for us but I tell you what, Patrick Vieira got it absolutely spot on because if you if you pay attention to the way that they're pressed and as I mentioned, I don't want to throw too much in too early but the thing that stood out to me very, very early on is they recognised our points of control and supply and they're completely nullified yeah, totally. with, with triggered presses. Any time that Ben White, Thomas Partey or Martin Rudigard Touched that ball, there was two or three men on top of them straight away. And it just completely nullified, as I say, our um, control and our supply throughout the game, which completely starved us us of anything. Dan, um, you asked me, was
0: I going to the Palace game? And I I did get offered a ticket there, thanks to Trev. um, And I chose, due to an early start on Tuesday morning, and two, the fact that it's such a pig of a place to get home from. Uh, even I'm on the underground, and you're further out in Essex. Um, uh, you know, it, it's a pig of a place. You went to the game. You were going to. You had an early start as well. Um, you had the day off, and it was as an early start in Waterloo. Um, uh, what were your expectations going into that game? And then let's look at the lineups as well, because as Owen mentioned, there was an injury to KT and Tommy Asu wasn't available.
1: Yeah. Um... I didn't see the lineup come in if I'm honest. I didn't see the Tierney situation. Was that due, was due to the really early start of... or was that due to the um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a little bit of both, <laughs> a little bit of both. But uh I did worry. I think Kieran listen, Kieran Tierney's is one of my favorite players and I was very frustrated that I didn't see him. The other shock to the lineup was I really expected to see Martinelli because I think that we needed somebody who give us a little bit of that energy and was that off the shoulder type player. So, they were the two shocks for me. Uh other than that, pretty much as Owen said, I expected it. I think we need to start giving Patrick Vieira some credit, don't we? I mean, we need to start understanding what a job this guy's done. He came into the club with seven players at his selection and he has recruited unbelievably well. He's got hit the ground running, not just himself, but with all of those players. He's got in what two months, I could see a style of play, not two years like Mikel Arteta I was waiting for. And then also what I've seen is not just the philosophy of that play that he's that, that that style of play, it's the fact that there just seems to be that intensity and that want to win. There's that kind of drive and that tenacity. So I love what I'm seeing. And I think he deserves a hell of a lot of credit. I think Mark Gahey and Tariq Mitchell have got into the England squad rightly so, as well as Connor Gallagher. They're three brilliant players for Crystal Palace. Didn't even see Michael Elise, and he's another player that's been superb for them this season. He's kept Zaha happy. Zaha's not asked to leave yet. And he has been for the last three years under Roy Hodgson and and, uh, De Boer or whoever it was beforehand. So I think Patrick Vieira deserves a lot of credit. So my expectations going into this one was it was going to be a narrow win to the Arsenal. And it was going to be a very hard, fought-out game. And like Owen says, Patrick Vieira schooled us in certain areas of that pitch. And I just think he deserves a lot of credit, not just for this game, but for the whole season. So I don't sit there being shocked by this because I think that we're an Arsenal side that has a performance like this in us. We've seen it at Everton away. We saw it at Burnley at home. and We saw it at the start of the season. So I'm not shocked that Crystal Palace beat us. I'm more shocked by the kind of performance, really, um, because Mm. I can't really name a player that played well. So there's my expectations going into the game and the shock to the lineup.
0: Well, the lineup was Ramsdale, Cedric, White, Gabriel, and Tavares. We'll go into him in a second. We had Party, also somebody we'll talk about, Granit Shaka, Saka, Odegaard, Smithrow, and Lacazette. The, um, the bench was the biggest surprise for myself. Um, that there was okay it's great to see youth coming through, but it just shows the lack of depth and strength that the, the the team has got and how much work we need to do in the summer um You touched on a few things that i I do want to talk about a little bit later on, which is a debate about arteta versus Vieira. um and and you know what there's some of the stuff you said there, Dan, about Vieira is very becoming of the man as a player he was he was a much more sturdy, stronger player um. Where Vieira was, uh, where Arteta was, very much more the maybe the gentleman professor-y sort of esque t- type player for the one, the better word. So, it, and and that, the, the the style of management and the style of the way they manage the teams are clearly to do with the personality as well. Um, looking at uh, the performance, we touched on. I mentioned we'd talk on party. Um, Owen, oh, party. Um, uh, Gallagher. Every single time he got the ball was on. Um party every second. A party couldn't he couldn't pass water on the evening because I don't think he was given any time. Um I think the press on on, on the ball was 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 unreal. Um and you know we, we we type of saw the party of old. There's talk about him coming back from international duty, at least the Ghanaian uh, uh, game was important and it got them through to the World Cup, unlike the Kieran Tierney, pointless, uh, friendly, uh, and, and really annoys me about international football. Um, but he's come back nursing an injury, which later he was taken off from. W- what did you think of that, that, that party and, and, and the way Vieira and, and, and Gallagher himself as a player pressed on party? and Did that stop the whole Arsenal sort of ticking?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, as I mentioned um, before, th- there are certain players in our team that set the tempo <clears throat> of the game, orchestrators, if you will, and it's Ben White, Thomas Partey and Martin Udegaard. And and, and for me, even though Conor Gallagher was relentless, and, and look, Chelsea or not, he's an absolutely unbelievable player with a massive future ahead of him. Um, and even though he was fantastic during the game, There's still things that you can control as a player. Your passing technique, (laughs) uh, for example. And and Thomas Partey seemed to lack that from the start. And it goes back to there's an old saying in football that your first touch is the most important. And for me, Thomas Partey is one of those players that his first touch has to be good to set him up for the rest of the game. And unfortunately, it wasn't. And unfortunately, that pressure started to pay off for uh, Crystal Palace and Gallagher thomas part because he just every time he touched the ball he was completely baffled he was completely paranoid about being caught on the ball um and it paid dividends for them that hard work but what i will say is that i think that when um the the, the commentary team on sky sports mentioned the fact that uh jordan ayu w- w- was also on uh international duty with ghana but i think that the. the The job that Thomas Partey does for his international side is massive. He is absolutely everywhere on the pitch if you watch him. Um, He's basically a one-man midfield for Ghana. So I think that to completely ignore the fact that um, he did have such a big game and such a big performance for his uh, country in such short time before that game that that, 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 you would be naive to think that that wouldn't have an effect. But still, um, Thomas Partey, I think, has set a standard for himself um, over this past few months, he's been arguably Arsenal's best player, and uh, you know we're. To, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but now you talk about potential injury that he picked up during that game, and even though his performance was uh, subpar in that in, in that performance, he's still going to be an absolutely massive miss because it's, I, I think that ta- an out of form Thomas Partey is still probably our best central midfielder at the club.
0: Mm. Dan, um, Thomas Party uh, clearly was um, managed out of the game. Um, did that affect Martin Odegaard? Uh, I know uh, Owen just said that Party is probably our best player um, of recent in Arsenal. To be honest, I'd probably put Odegaard up there as probably one of our best and most improved players of recent time. Um, do you think that that cutting Party out of the game influenced and affected... Odegaard's game and there's a lot of people on social media you know what social media is like there's so many people who have such extreme views and how they slag off players on social media um, and uh, on Arsenal Fans Forum and also on Twitter and so on people are going Odegaard's having a mare he's awful and what's he doing I think he was just frustrated he was frustrated about what was coming from behind him and I think he was also re- frustrated what was on front of him um, with lack of gold, sorry, lack of Zet, um, uh, uh, as
1: well. Um, what What were
0: your thoughts? <laughs> sorry, I, to... I, like
1: what you, I like what you did there, man. I like what you did there. Um, so the reason Martin Odegaard struggled was because you've just said Thomas Party was taking out the game, but it wasn't because he was taken out the game by one person. Like Owen said, Conor Gallagher, Coyote, and um, Schlup were like. Dogs, mate, absolute, did not stop running, workhorses on every touch. Martin Erdegaard's first, first touch was shambolic. I mean, absolutely shambolic, particularly in the first half. Thomas Partey couldn't get a pass right. And I just think, as you said, Fergus, both of them were getting frustrated. And it was funny because somebody asked me not uh, not long ago, just before the Palace game, who's been our best player in 2022? And I said Thomas Partey. And I think Thomas Partey has allowed... Erdegaard to be the player that he is. So sometimes when you look at what Erdegaard's doing, you look around and think he wouldn't be doing as good if it wasn't for Thomas Partey. And I think that was an example of Monday night that Thomas Partey just couldn't get onto the ball and do what he was doing in the previous games. And Martin Erdegaard was drowned out of the game as well due to the quality of the other three uh, that Palace had in midfield. I said in 2021 that Gabriel was our best player and 2022 Partey was our best player. And they were the two worst players on the night for me. On Monday night, I thought Gabriel was shocking. I thought party was poor. Everyone was giving, obviously, I'm sure we'll mention our left back, a lot of uh, stick. I thought Gabriel was much more to blame for both the goals. But as for but Thomas you, Party, you, you know the God? Do you not God think for... that the reason Gabriel, Gabriel was poor
0: is because Nuno Tavares uh, was uh, not at, at the races? Cedric had a poor first half, and I think that put Ben White under pressure. So mm. having both the, the, the left and right backs... Having not good days at the office, um, I think that put an extra pressure on top of the centre halves. And even with the very first kick of the ball, I'm, I'm not sure if Ramsdale was 100 percent ready for this game mm. because with the very first attack, Ramsdale looked a little bit nervy and shaky. So the whole, the, the whole like the, uh, the the goalkeeper and the two centre halves were a bit shaky, and then they got even shakier on the outside. Do you I not think, think that comes... probably just messed with them?
1: I think you're right, and I think it comes to having a young side. Because if you take it back to an experience, let's take it back to the greats of of Arsenal. Let's take it back to Sol Campbell. When Gael Clichy comes in, what does Sol Campbell do? Don't worry, Gael, I've got you. Yeah, don't worry, I've got you. We can't do that. Gabriel's a kid as well. So Gabriel hasn't got anyone because he's still learning on the job as well, just like Ben White. So when Cedric comes in, who, yes, is experienced, but he's not our first choice. Gabriel and Ben White, I've got you. But they haven't because Ben White's making rash challenges for the first goal. And Gabriel's losing the header, and Gabriel's jumping out the way of balls, missing clearances. Nuno Tavares, I thought, got a little bit of a bad, a, a, a little bit of bad stick, if I'm honest, because I watched the highlights. Those two goals aren't his fault, in my opinion. I don't know what Gabriel's doing for either of those. Now, you might say that Gabriel's a little bit out of Ooh. position, and Nuno Tavares' position leads a little bit wrong, and I'd agree with that. But you can't not blame Gabriel and blame it all on Nuno Tavares. I thought that was shocking from Gabriel. And listen, he's one of my favourite players, Gabriel. Along with Kieran Tierney, I think he's been exceptional for Arsenal since he's come in the door. And he's one of Arteta's first signings that I looked at and gone, wow, you are you are class. I really like you. But I thought he had a shambles. And people say it's because he misses give birth and his head's on other things and he's had late nights. I get that. Yeah, potentially. But you've got to be ready for games like this. And international duty, as Owen said, I hate international breaks. Yeah, I do. I'm with you on that one. But I don't blame the players for giving 110% for their club because that's what they want to do. That's what you should want to do for your club and country is give 110%. So Thomas Partey and Kieran Tierney, although it's frustrating that both of them are now out and we could probably point the finger towards injury, uh, sorry, international duty, I don't blame the players. I blame these stupid, pointless, ridiculous friendlies. 180 minutes for Kieran Tierney. Why? Why did he need to play against Poland and Australia? Or Austria, sorry. And now he's out for us, so there's some problems there. And I think you know the goals, Fergus. It's a young team, and they're going to make mistakes, and they did on but Monday. To night. be honest, there's a
0: great, a great comment by John in the in here said, in fairness, is we kind of expect to hit a wall with such a small squad, mm-hmm. which we've mentioned on before, uh, and they played a lot of games and a young squad, Owen. Um, Gabriel is coming into a little bit of criticism from from Dan there uh, and almost letting Nuno Tavares off the hook. But to be honest, whatever about the first goal, the second goal, Tavares is totally to blame. He, he lost his man and stopped running.
2: Mm-hmm. I uh, To be honest with you, whilst I see what Dan, Dan is saying about Gabriel's shaky performance, and I do look as a man in a similar position myself, um, <laughs> I do have sympathy for, for, for Gabriel. Look, look, anyone who has kids know that it's okay saying to turn up on a on a on a monday in this case and be ready to go but it, it's a completely life-changing thing especially for your first first kid and as you mentioned he's a young lad himself and maybe he's being more hands-on than <laughs> somebody in his position normally is but uh he definitely looked like a man that was feeling the effects of it but in saying that for for the the two opening goals i i think that nuno tavares was just completely to blame for both of them i think that the first one the ball comes into the box. I think he's looking for contact um, of Anderson, and uh, I, I, I think that if uh, I think Sorry, that if he I'm tries distracted, I think that if he tries to oh, yeah, if he tries just to, 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 to make it, something, just come out loud. Sorry, I was no, you're a good one. I think that if uh, No No actually makes a, a proper goal for the ball, he probably gets the foul there. But it's the fact that he wins to look for contact, and you you just don't do that. As for the second goal. He, he gambled on the fact that uh, um, Gabriel was going to make the clearance. And as a defender, you never make the gamble. You always play the game as if the man playing beside you is an absolute plum. You know, always expect <laughs> him to make a mistake and you'll never go wrong. Um, and, and and even at that there, um, after watching it back, Nuno could have done two things there. He could have either stepped up, held the line and and the Palace man would have been offside for the second goal, or he could have kept tracking IU, uh and and been there to intercept it when Gabriel Field he didn't either, he, he he went to track the man and just stopped all of a sudden and it was absolutely criminal and to be honest with you, after the Forest game and after this performance I think I think since the Forest game what did he come off on the 35th minute and then this one he didn't see the second half I think he's played a minute of football yeah. but I think he's played a minute of football between um between the forest game and this one i'm not sure if there's a way back for nuno i'm not sure at all i think we're going to find out on saturday yeah. um and if you don't see nuno start in either left back or left wing back i think the writing's on the wall and, and michael Arteta's mind has oh. made up on the player oh.
0: Arteta was questioned after the game about that and um uh, he he said it was a, a tactical a tactical change for attack. Nah, I and and I, to be honest I think that's just company <laughs> company talk. Um mm-hmm. I, I had written down here Nuno de Forest, uh subbed at halftime, Forrest at 35 minutes is he finished for Arsenal. Uh, I think I think under normal circumstances he would be finished um and he might spend a year or so with the reserves or go out and loan, but I think uh, and we will look ahead to the Brighton game. I don't think we've got very much of a choice if Tommy Asu's not back. Before we get into that, though, um, Odegaard, we talked about his frustration. Odegaard, from that frustration in the second half, we changed to six in attack, effectively, for the last 15 minutes. Uh, We had only one shot uh, on target in the first half, uh, and Odegaard gave away a penalty. But whilst I don't argue it was a penalty, Dan, is there an argument to say that Saka, in the first half, should have had a penalty? And, you know... Um, there was there was no VAR. It seemed to be used, and you look at the time that uh, the referee took to award that penalty. You know, I was looking for you know some VAR. You know, check and see if Shaka was involved. <laughs> you know, he wasn't involved. so VAR was clearly completed. But like you know, what what aside from the joke on that one, what did you think of the Saka claim for a penalty? I which I thought was a little bit soft, and uh, even softer was the Lacazette one. But uh, what what did you think of that overall then?
1: I don't really understand anymore, Fergus, if I'm honest, um, because I don't really know what is or isn't a penalty still now. Um, I thought it put potentially a little bit soft, but I've seen them given. You know, you see some of the teams at the weekends get given for a lot less than what happened with Saka or even the Lacazette one you mentioned. I've seen stuff like that before over the years. So it's it's a frustrating one for me. I thought it was a penalty for Zaha, on Zaha. I think that was clear, to be honest. And um it killed the game. I think the game was already done anyway, but it certainly killed it off at, at, at that part, at that chance. But I think it would have been very soft. Um, there you go, Rich is in the chat. I would agree with that. I think it would have been extremely soft. I agree with that. Um, I do. I just wanted to come back, Ferg, if I could on the Tavares thing, or are we going to go into that? Because yeah, yeah, I just yeah. No, no, to, no, carry on. Yeah. I just wanted to point on that. I, I And I know people are going to shoot me down and say that I've got an agenda and stuff. I just don't get the man management with this guy. I don't get it. I, I don't understand it. Because if you're a 29-year-old footballer that has been at the club for, say, six years and you have a shocking performance like that, you get subbed because you know better, yeah? When you're in the first season at a club and you're 21 years old, to not even put an arm around this lad's shoulder and just say, I've done with you, you're coming off. To do that twice, like, it's not tactics, let's get it right. There's no tactics involved with that. He thought he was having a shit game again, so we took him off. And I just don't really understand why he can't buy a signing that is his signing that's a young player and try to give him a little bit of confidence, put his arm around him, say, look, this is what you're doing wrong. You're a great player. I personally don't think he's a left back anyway. I think what I've seen is a left winger. However, if he is going to be a left back because he's cover at the moment, you look at him and say, right, this is what you need to do. You're ill-disciplined, you're rash and your positioning is off. So this is how you need to rectify this. I just don't know that that enough of that's being done. Now I'm not in training. I don't see what he's talking to him, man management wise. But from the outlooking in to just keep subbing the guy, what is that doing to him? Now we're gonna see not, on Saturday, aren't we? Whether he's gonna play him or not, to see if he's got a future. Hmm. But I just think it's poor management. Like just take him off, just get rid of just take him off. Like, come on, man. That's just but wrong, do you do you not do you
2: not rack and Dan? Remember earlier in the season, um, <clears throat> I think it was Sambi and and No both had pretty shocking displays yeah. against against liverpool um and if you remember the following week he did, he did keep faith in in both of them if i remember right um and as you mentioned there so that that is him showing faith but say for example maybe some with somebody like and i know that it's it's probably well documented your opinion on the use of nicolas pepe <laughs> but i think maybe in the same line as nicola pepe whereas. He maybe has given that talk two or three times and yet he sends him out and Nuno is doing the complete opposite of exactly what he's being coached and told to do and and maybe it maybe the frustration is warranted at this point you know when you're Owen, spending Owen. Stuff in, yeah.
0: Oh, and um, Mike Goncalves, our Boston Ozal, as he's known on the on this podcast, uh, he's the guy who set up this um, podcast with me originally. He's over in Boston. He's Portuguese American, um, and he's whilst an Arsenal fan, he's also an avid Benfica fan and does a, a, a Benfica podcast in, in Portuguese as well. When we signed, and you were on the same WhatsApp group, um, Dan, when he signed for uh, Arsenal at seven million, he said, "What a waste of eight million pounds." He said he's the worst defender he had seen and to be honest what i had seen him play at uh at the emirates and 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 as you said dan he looked more of like going forward he's very strong he's very fast defensively he's very weak um so i i don't know the, the clearly the, the think, judgment like, is out
1: looking at looking at that just quick do you think then that like if he's doing that and he's re- and he's taking him off why is he not doing it with other players? Because I've seen Lacazette been shocking for a few games and I've seen him playing 90 minutes each time. So what is it with this player? Maybe Owen's right. Maybe he's just not listening to Mikel Arteta. That could be the case. It could be. We don't know that. That's just us thinking that must be. It must be something because he's not wanting to take the time with it. It just seems this manager doesn't want to give the give these... Some of these players' time—they're either in your good books or not. It's very odd how it's being, how it's all playing well, out. The, and to be honest,
0: the, there's not many, there's not many on the books that he can have good books or bad books. He's got he's got a a, a solid starting eleven, so the, there is no you know hierarchy. And I think Lacazette, which we'll talk about, our lack of goals as I've started calling them recently, um, Lacazette is is a prime example that you would actually drop him. You wouldn't play him under normal circumstances. He does an awful lot more for the team than uh like in in the sense of he he's 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 uh, back to goal play and his assist rate and stuff like that is he's not even is a doing lot that better. At the moment is he not, but, not even uh, doing that yeah it's, i i was i was i was digging deep i was digging deep but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but but he he's paid to be a striker he's paid 185 grand a week to be a striker and he's not striking he's not scoring goals you know he's meant to be our frenchman number 9 and he's not been the number
1: 9 uh, at the moment. and as and as well like You know, looking at the Tavares thing, it's kind of... Tavares epitomises the Arsenal fan base, really, in my opinion. It's like this guy, Quentin, he's not getting in. He's not getting in. He's brilliant. Look at this guy. He's fantastic. Tierney's never getting back in. Next minute, oh, yeah, he needs to sub him. He's not good enough. Get a few Uh -uh. wins... Everything's going well. You lost everything's wrong. You get my point? That's what I'm trying to say. So I think we just need to be a little bit calmer with this and say, right, he's had a couple of bad games. If the manager don't fancy him, there's nothing we can do. Like like, like Nicolas Pepe, for whatever reason, he hates him. There's no point saying he's good enough. He ain't going to be good enough. He's never going to play for Arsenal long term. I think we might have to do the same with Nuno Tavares if the if the you know at the moment it's looking that way. On Saturday it will tell us, like Owen says, because if we get to a stage where we are completely changed our formation, we've got Chaka at left back, Saka at left back, Cedric at left back, we're going to know Tavares' future is done and he's out of here. So it's going to be interesting at the weekend.
2: I think I think I don't if, don't... Uh, if anything as well, sorry to jump in there, uh, but uh, I'm not saying that if Kieran Tierney was in that side that. The game would have finished with it with an Arsenal win, and that's not what I'm saying. But when you look at how shaky that entire line and even to an extent, the Smith row in, in in front of Nuno, I think that with all this sort of um, ITK is coming out and saying that there's links with the Kieran Tierney and Spanish clubs and fifty million pound price tags, and people saying, oh, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to take the fifty million. We only paid twenty five for him. Keep Nuno in there, and then we'll look for a replacement. I think that that just threw pie in everybody's face. That would suggest that that's a a, a good option to take because Kieran Tierney for me in that backline, people can talk about the leadership of Ben White or Gabrielle or Tommy Asser or whoever you want. That's the mainstay in the backline. That's the guy who pulls the strings back there. That's the voice of our backline. Is- and 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 for me, it just it's going to be a massive massive loss for the rest of the season not to have him back there.
0: It's a shame that Tierney is as injury prone as he is, because I, I I I get the leadership skills he's got, because um, I don't see Ben White as a, a very much a vocalist guy, and and as um as much as uh, Gabriel does try and talk and he does cajole. Um, the midfield and, and and the back line, um, his language skills are probably a little bit. He he gets frustrated a little bit by it. Listen, I think we've probably done that game to death. Um, it's five years since we had the same result. The last time we lost three 0 there, which was under Arsene Wenger, and it was the start at the end of his his reign. Um, and and changes happened. We got the the Brighton game coming up, uh, which I'd like to briefly touch on. Um, and then I want to talk about the thing that we we, we, we touched on earlier on, which is the Arteta Vieira uh, uh, one as well. So the Brighton game, uh, quickly, uh, who do we go with left back? Well, what's your back line, Dan?
1: Uh, the back line is if Tommy Asu's fit, he comes in. Otherwise, I'd keep it the same. I would go with Nuno Tavares. I would. I don't want to see Chaka there. I don't want to see Saka there. I don't want to see Cedric there. I see him there. That was oh, he's, he's okay at right back just, but I can't see him at left back again. So you've got to go with Nuno Tavares. and You've got to give him give him the confidence and the belief. You were the one who signed him. So show everybody why you signed him and stick with him. Gabriel and Ben White and then the midfield obviously uh you know leconga's going to have to come in isn't he if Party's out but that's what i'd do uh, owen do you do what um richard says in the chat here cedric will go left back ben
2: ben white will go right back and holding will se- play centre back um no no that's too too drastic for me i i, I think and and funny people people made it got a different vibe from my sort of answers around Nuno but I I agree with Dan stick with Nuno I think that we're scraping the barrel I think changes to systems are bad um midway through a season let alone coming to the last nine games of the season when it's just as important as it is but I think that um maybe when you're sending Nuno out <laughs> this is where the manager or the captain earns their stripes um by pulling maybe Gabrielle aside pulling Granit Xhaka aside some of those senior figures and said look you're going to need to to babysit this guy a little bit for 45 minutes just until he finds his feet again because he's a player that's completely low on confidence. But he's a player that I think for the for the remainder of the season that we're really going to have to rely on. OK. And and, and midfield-wise, uh, Dan, Laconga, do you play him in that centre midfield
0: role because party's going to be out? Or do you change mm. the formation slightly and drop Shaka back
1: into that position? So I think what might happen... I, like Con- I would actually like Lukonga in that role because I actually see him as probably the only other holding midfielder that we've got. He's certainly not an attacking midfielder, that's for sure. So I probably would play him there. However, don't be surprised if you see a 4-2-3-1. And the reason I say that is because Granit Chaka, when he's in that 4-2-3-1, it allows him to drop back into that left-back position a lot more when Nuno's bombing forward. So it wouldn't surprise me if we play a little bit similar to that again and go a little bit like that while party and Tini are out. But we could just go like for like and play Lokonga in the party role holding and then Chaka and Erdegaard either side of the diamond with Lacazette at the tip. I would like to see something a little bit different if we're going to see another performance that we saw on Monday. So it wouldn't surprise me if Arteta changed it to a four-two-three-one. one it's almost like you host a podcast because, like you know, you just like line me up there,
0: uh, Lacazette at the tip. So, um, Owen, because I, I don't want I don't want Dan to answer the, his own question just quite yet. <laughs> um, um, Lacazette at the tip. Who? Who? What? What do we do with Lacazette? Okay, we we touched on his lack of goals. Um, we've touched on his other leadership qualities and how well uh, the, the youth seem to respond to him, but clearly goals. With the the, the seven-goal swing at the weekend, goals are going to be very, very important to us. How would you change that formation around? Um, Do you keep Lacazette in the the squad? Do you bench him?
2: How would you line it up? It's a really tricky one for me. So, look, the first thing I'll say is in the Palace game, something that I sort of had caught on to was the fact that even though Martin Udegaard had a bad game and, and Saka didn't really create much and a and, and smith Rowe didn't really do too much himself either. But one of the things that got me thinking of is what is the avenue? Where do you play the ball? to Alexander Lacazette. You know, if you're looking at somebody like Andy Carroll, for example, it's pretty obvious you hit it down to the wing, you put the ball across into the box and let him nod one in. If hmm. you're playing if you're playing with someone like Gabriel Jesus or Jamie Vardy, put the ball in between the defenders and let him chase it. But Alexander Lacazette isn't um, an aerial threat in the box. Uh, Alexander Lacazette doesn't have the pace to beat defenders and, and split the lines. And then when you're talking about putting the ball into his feet, well, he's not overly physical either. And whilst he's been doing a slight job of that, I think teams are starting to figure it out. If you just stay tight to him, you completely nullify him and that kills any lack of goal threat. So I think if anything, and I'm not going to, sort of criticise too much, hindsight 2020 and all of that. But when you look back at January, it's obviously a massive mistake not to bring in some form of striker, even if it had been alone loan for a plan B, if anything, you know, that Alien Carrier is, I'll just say it very bluntly, I think the guy's absolute trash. <laughs> uh, as a footballer, as a person, he might be a lovely guy, but he's just not a very good footballer. But the other thing I'll say is as well is that if you look back to... um season we won the FA Cup when we moved to a back three eventually teams in the league started to figure that out and then eventually we started getting we changed to the formation as you say with Granit jacket was slipping in the left back and Kieran Tierney was bombing on and putting in crosses and that worked for a little while too I'm starting to realize that every six or seven weeks every system starts to get figured out people start to to realize what other managers are doing and then they the counter that nullify that with their own systems so for me it's maybe just that people are starting to realize that Alexander Lacazette is key to our attack and threat and um, and now it's just going to be as simple as stick a man on, on um Lacazette and, and that's him completely out of the game so for me I agree for me I, I think I think the fact that we have a team like Brighton who aren't doing very well to put it lightly at the minute this is the time, if you're ever going to experiment at, at this stage of the season, the Brighton game is the time to do it. I think that Gabrielle Martinelli has everything in his locker to be an absolute superstar striker. And I think it's maybe time just to take a roll of the dice, throw him in there, see how he does. If if, if it isn't going too well, well, half time comes and you've got Lacazette on the bench and and, and by all accounts as well. Lakazak could potentially need to be taken out of the spotlight at the minute. I think so, I've seen a stat. Of, I'm not sure whether it's 17 sure. hours or 17 games that he hasn't scored from open play. So,
0: so in summary, uh, you'd bench him. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a podcast one-word answers would be very dull. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's a podcast with two Irishmen on there, so you're never going to get any silence on it. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah. Listen, um, uh, Dan, anything to add on that? And and. Finally touching on that game, because I, I'm conscious that you want to go in a couple of minutes, but um, I, I do want to go on the uh, Arteta Vieira thing. Um, any key players to, to uh, keep an eye out on the Brighton side from your view and add anything else on the Lacazette that you want? Of
1: course, listen, Brighton are a side that aren't winning at the moment and they're a side that aren't scoring. So I don't expect to see a high scoring game at the weekend. Now, having said that, it will probably be a free free draw now. But it's one of those games that I do think will be very tight. I don't believe personally Brighton are a huge, huge threat at the weekend. It's a very bad omen for us going there because they've managed to do quite well against us over the years. But I will say that I think we're probably going to take three points. Just the pure fact, we're playing them at a good side, at a good time. They're not really playing for anything at the moment other than trying to win to get their, some of their pride back. Graham Potter's done an absolutely outstanding job, in my opinion. So they're going to be a threat, of course, because they're a good side on their day. Of course, is a massive player for them. Mope, we all know we have history with, but I don't say that he's an exceptional talent. But they have got a couple of players that can hit us and, and can cause some damage. As for Lacazette, I'm with Owen 120 million percent. It's time for Martinelli through the centre. Just played up front for Smith Rowe, Erdegaard, Saka and Martinelli. Let's see what happens. It's full of pace. It's got creativity because Erdegaard can thread balls through. You might have to defend against us differently, but we'll certainly be able to attack teams differently. You can't play the high line because Lacazette ain't going to get off the shoulder because he ain't going to move. You have to with Martinelli because he is a pacey striker and he'll cause you all sorts of problems. And what I like about that front three or front four, if you include God is you've got the creativity and the technical ability from him. You've got the pace and the power from both Saka Alex, and Martinelli, and you've got the drive well. from Smith Rowe, and of course you can play them in whatever position you want because there's a lot of rumors that Smith Rowe may go into the Lacazette type role if Lacazette isn't about because he can do that job uh, just as good. The reason yeah, Lacazette isn't isn't a target in the said, box is because he's never in the box. <laughs> That's the reason. So well, it doesn't to, matter to if he's honest. six foot seven; he's never in the box. There's only one guy I saw slower uh,
0: than Lacazette running. Uh, uh, who was it? We were playing Martin. No, in no, 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 no. <laughs> well, actually, no, it was Alex Iwobi for Everton the other, the other day. Oh, Jesus yeah,
1: awful. Christ. I was howling, man. When, we, when, we, when, we, when they signed I was him for 40 million I was, for him. I was howling, <laughs> mate. Absolutely howling. But, um, but no, in, in seriousness to that question, I do think Lacazette, it's time. Because I've seen enough of him now. And he doesn't even work hard and hold the ball up well anymore. He's not even doing that. And I wouldn't mind so much if Lacazette was 37 like Ronaldo, but he's like just turned 30 and he looks like he's 45. He's I, always in he's never never last past 60 without blowing out of his ass. Like what is oh, he, he, do, not... he? He can do 70 minutes and then he is struggling and he, he does ask to be changed That's by
0: 70, 60 or 70 minutes, which is his fitness. But I, I, I disagree with you in the in in the sense he does add a lot to the game. He does give a lot to the game. It's a, against Palace, granted he was he was poor, but I think that was Palace managing. Arsenal rather than Arsenal managing the game. He
1: was poor um, against Villa this, as well, wasn't he? Really poor uh, Villa
0: as well. He wasn't great. No, he wasn't yeah. great. Right. That, that's, that's two weeks ago. Christ, you wouldn't expect me to remember that long. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you mentioned Graham Potter, uh, a manager that everyone's been crowing and raving about and saying how good he is, and an English manager, potential... Uh, Tottenham or Arsenal are linked to some of the bigger jobs. Um, Vieira after the, the the performance he put in against Arsenal uh, the other night and also what you touched on earlier, he inherited a team with seven players, he's both players he's instilled a, a bit of steel about Palace and I didn't even notice but you had a good point about Zaha's not moaning about moving um, he did in his own interview after the game admit that he did inherit a well organised squad and that is Roy Hodgson which he will if given time he's not dynamic, but he does organise and set his squad up. Um Owen, given the choice, go go let's go back pre December 2019. Vieira's never managed in the Premier League. Arteta's has never managed in the Premier League. Graham Potter has had Brighton. Um given the choice of one of those three. Ancelotti, all of those, none of those are all available. They're your three managers. Who would you have chosen on the day? I know who I I I, I know who Dan is. God, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, maybe surprisingly, if you if you put me back at that time, uh, Graham Potter is the choice I would have went for at that time. I think that uh, was it. Ostrasons or what do you call the side that they actually beat, Yeah, yeah. Beat us. I mean, he did fantastic things with that with with, with that side, um, and he had a bit of a track record. And if we're all being very honest, I know that it's it's the trendy thing to look at. One of the Invincibles, and say that they're the man to take the, the to take the role. Patrick Vieira's managerial record at that time wasn't overly flattering. To be honest with you, I think that um, he had a bad spell in France, and um, obviously, Mikel Arteta had no experience whatsoever. So I think that Graham Potter is the one I would have went for. But in saying that, I think if one thing I've learned from Mikel Arteta is that maybe sometimes it's bad to have a former player as as your manager. Because even though Mikel Arteta isn't a legend and he's not invincible or held it anywhere near, I mean, Mikel Arteta couldn't clean Patrick Vieira's boots in terms of the legacy that he has as a player at at Arsenal Football Club. But there is a connection. There is, at times, a bit more of a tendency for the fan base to cling on and be protective over a manager, maybe when they shouldn't be. And i think that if michael arteta wasn't a past player for arsenal football club he's probably not in a job right now because he wouldn't have made it through some of those more difficult periods the Europa League gags at the start of the season um so yeah for me for me look hindsight 2020 and all that there like you say graham potter's very good manager would i be pushing now to get patrick Vier in no i'd rather see him i'd rather see him go down the right route i don't want to see us do a frank lampard thing where we take a manager too early after a, a flash in the pan and commit too much to to a player. I want to see somebody with a with a proven track record to succeed. Mikel Arteta, if he doesn't eventually succeed himself. Mm.
0: Um, very well said really really well said mm. and I, to be honest when you, you talk about um, thinking of uh, Patrick Vieira I do think of Patrick Vieira as a legend and I do think you're right that he, he's not fit to polish or lace uh, Arteta's boots up but when I think of Arteta I don't ever think of him as an Arsenal player I know he was captain and everything else I always just think of him as an Everton player And when he was at his best in my view when he was Everton captain and I know when we signed him I was quite I wasn't over the moon, but I wasn't displeased. But I was like, "Oh wow, okay." But had we got him just past his best? I, I personally, um, I and myself and Dan have many uh, debates on this. Um, I am pro Arteta in the sense that I, I want to support him. I, I think he's doing a lot of good things with the club. Um, I think he's the one that will is the right person at this moment in time to rebuild uh, the club. Whether he is the guy to take us beyond the top four if we get there and um, I, I'm going to look at his comment in a second. He'll throw me off <laughs> uh, whether, whether, whether it's um, good enough to take us to challenging for the league and the champions league. I don't know. And who succeeds him as a different kettle of fish. Dan, uh, I know your judgment on Arteta has been uh, varied. It's, it's, it's improved from where it was a, a few months back. Um, but go back prior to his appointment, we're lost Unai Emery, you got Graham Potter, you got
1: Vieira, you got Ateta. Who would you have picked? So um <clears throat> I can't really disagree with anything that Owen said. I think you put that really well, really. Um I look at who is set up best out of those three individuals to have a proven track record to take us forward. And the only option is Graham Potter because of what he's done at Osterson's, because of what he'd done at Swansea. And then he obviously got the job at Brighton. That was why I believe he would have been a better choice than the other two. Now, I don't think any of them would have have been my number one, of course. Um, But out of those three options, I think the three of them I would have gone for would have been... um, would have been uh, Graham Potter. Now, you talk about the comparisons with Vieira and Arteta, and a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people have spoken to me about it. I think it's really, really hard to compare the two. The reason I say that is because one of them's got a much bigger job than the other, because Arsenal, asked whether you like it or not, it's a bigger job. And the other one has only just started in the Premier League as a manager, in Patrick Vieira. So you can compare who's had the better start. I think Vieira has had the better start out of the two. But if you look at who's the better manager and you take New York City and Nice into account from Patrick Vieira and Manchester City's assistant coach and the Arsenal uh, Arteta, then I think it's very, very difficult to, to judge that because they're different leagues. They're both starting at different player times of their career. And so I think it's the, very the, difficult to compare the, the two. The
0: two big learning curves as well. The expectation of what we would have been expected of... Um, uh, Patrick Vieira going into the uh, into that job at Palace, or even Patrick mm-hmm. Vieira going into the job at Arsenal. I think there'd be different pressures under him, which is what Owen talked about about the invincibility. the, the Lampard like and Chelsea, yeah, 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 uh, but. The the expectations of him going into the job, and opposed to the expectations of what people thought of um, Arteta going into the job, uh, are, are poles apart. And if Graham Potter was appointed um, as an Arsenal manager, and I only put Potter in because you brought him up in the conversation, because uh, I, I had this down just an Arteta Vieira debate. But if you put Graham Potter into the Arsenal job in 2019, I don't think he would lasted more than I don't think he definitely wouldn't lasted as long as. Um, as our Teta has. Uh oh, I, I I don't see him why is that? I don't see him doing this. I don't know. Um
1: I, I think there's an element of Is it because Potter... he's not the best looking Englishman you know
0: <laughs> no. no, he's had his hair cut and he's not on tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, no, I don't know. I just, I just don't think there'd be a tolerance won from the fan base because maybe because he wasn't an
2: ex Arsenal player. Which uh, it's just this conversation made me think some things. Um, I, I don't, do you, do, I don't... Do you think Fergus, it's maybe the fact that we needed an author, an authoritarian someone like Mikhail Ortega who's heavy handed and Graham Potter to me doesn't seem like that. He seems very alert tactically. He seems very good at drilling the side. But in terms of maybe coming into a dressing room with massive. Egos like Mikel Arteta did, you know. We look at Mikel Arteta still had Mesut Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Would Graham Potter be fit to, to handle some of those egos? Uh,
0: you know what? I I I don't know, and I I, I think probably because of um, Arteta's link to to Wenger and his Wenger's captain and and a bit of a protege Wenger. Uh, I think that links to the board and the culture of the club. I think also the 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 board and the owners the ownership of the club will probably come under a lot of pressure as well um, about not understanding the ethos of the club. And I think Arteta coming in and understanding the ethos of the club and then taking no crap from nobody and getting rid of Deadwood. And he's probably not doing it for the same money as some of the other people would do. I'm sure he's getting a good screw, but he's probably not doing it for the same money. He's doing it a bit more to develop his career and, and for love of the club to a certain degree. Not that I'm saying he's an Arsenal man through and through, but I, I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I just... I, I I do think it was one hell of a gamble and I do think it is probably a good gamble in my view.
1: I think all we can do, because we don't know what it would have been like if Graham Potter was an Arsenal manager, all we can do is look at the evidence of what he's done in his career so far and we can't really compare what he's done at Ostersunds and Swansea, but you can look at what he's done at Brighton. And when you've got a team and I know he's going through a tre- dreadful patch at the moment, I don't think they've won in six now, um, he's managing to get style of play he's managing to get players like Mope and Danny Welbeck scoring goals um and Arteta was struggling to get Aubameyang and Lacazette to scoring goals so i think style wise he certainly would have come in and, and i think given us a style of play which i think Brighton had um up until a few weeks that we've seen now it's been a bit a bit lackluster and i think they've probably got a lot out of that side already and they're going through their their bad patch of the season because they were fifth at one stage in the league so i think that he's a manager that i think would have been um underwhelming to become the Arsenal manager, um, certainly. Um, as well as probably Vieira and Arteta for me. I don't think anybody was overwhelmed when Arteta was appointed. I don't think anybody went, wow, we're on to good things. I think everybody was like, oh Bloody hell! We've got someone who's never done the job before. We all wanted a, you know, an Antonio Conte or a Simeone. Well, I don't think everyone did actually. I, I did. I don't think everybody did. Um, and we got Arteta. So I, don't I think, think we were, were a little bit underwhelmed. <laughs> un, a little bit underwhelmed. I think was fair to say. I mean, maybe you two were happy with Arteta. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe you were. I wanted someone who'd actually done the job before. Um, but maybe you know this was the right my, way my, to go. My... We will find out, won't we? We'll find out.
0: We will. But my, 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 my thing that I like that. We've done with Arteta. Or, to be honest, anybody that we put in there, and I don't think Conte, Mourinho, any of the uh, uh, any of the names that were out there, would be willing to be in it for the long game and and be there for five years and develop. And the, the whole club needs rebuilding. Look at Man United: five managers on, and they're still in a complete state. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that to happen to Arsenal football club and that's why by taking a, a chance on Mikel Arteta which it is a huge chance on Mikel Arteta by taking that chance uh, and by what he's done being the hard man and being the uh, uh, the dictator and the disciplinarian and everything else he's made those difficult choices that I don't know if if a Mourinho would have got away with that because the media would have just torn him up with, with Arteta's a blank sheet I went...
2: Yeah, look, I think that what you mentioned earlier is absolutely spot on. I think that it's a net positive exactly what Mikel Arteta has done. I think the difference is um, if you look at personalities and I don't want to make this come across like I'm, I'm saying that Patrick Vieira is deficient in any way of this, but um, For me, if you look at a player like Mikel Arteta and a man like Mikel Arteta, one thing you have to say is that he's a very cultured person. He seems to have these ideals instilled in him that he really lives by. And I think that that's what we needed was was a cultural overhaul at this club. It helped inspire them with money grabbers and merchants and people with their own self-interest at hand. And and one thing he has done is he's come in and he's completely turned that around. If you look at something like the wage structure at this club in comparison to even two years ago, it's it's such a stark, stark difference. And now, regardless of, uh, regardless of what you think about the manager, I think that the, if you want to look at what he's doing at the minute, we're in a top four fight that I don't think anybody else would expect with a goalkeeper who got relegated twice and was laughed at when he signed for us. A Japanese right back who nobody had heard of. Um, two two centre backs, Ben White, who everybody was laughing at us when we paid 15 million for. We've got Granite Jack, the man who was never going to put the shirt on again and wanted to leave the club. He's got Martin Oudigard, Martin a bench warmer. You know, you've got. Uh, a french darren bent essentially playing up front for you and then two baby faces out of the academy you know if you if you actually once you pick it apart and pull it apart the job that he's done i think is phenomenal we're ahead of schedule at the minute and don't let the fact that we're ahead of schedule uh, discourage you from what this team can achieve with this manager i think as well i've had my doubts i've wanted him out at certain times but that's just the life of a fan that's why i'm sitting here talking to you two lads on a on a computer screen and not run arsenal football club because i'm a moron and that's not my job there is people in position to make them decisions and i'm glad that there is because i think we could have pulled the trigger too early and maybe seen this guy succeed at someone like a psg or a barcelona or wherever you want a man city whatever i think that i think i think i think that when you that's look cool. at, i think that when you look at um i think that when you look at these last 10 games it hurts the palace game hurts right now definitely 100 percent. but i think if you had brought me an arsenal fan in front of onto the screen now or in person even would be better and if he had told you that we were going to go undefeated for the last 10 games of the season i would have hit him a smack in the face and said wise yourself up because it's just unrealistic we were always going to lose games we're going to pick up points where we don't expect to pick up points and other teams are going to drop points where we don't expect them to drop points it's a long run into the end of the season. There's going to be ups and downs for everybody, but I think that, regardless, granted, as long as there's no massive capitulation, I think that this team mm. has done it proud this season and, and exceeded expectations of where we maybe expected. Ben, ben, to be. ben Bennett, on, Ben
0: Bennett, who's been on the show and on on uh, uh, Twitter as well, he's he we've had a he's in the WhatsApp group and we've had a conversation, and uh, he said regardless of, uh, of what this team achieves this season whether they get top 4 or not as, as 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 all of us will be extremely disappointed if we don't um he's happy that they've uh, the team have left everything on the pitch which is which is fantastic and and and, and to be honest I think they have I uh, I I sent you a text this morning Dan and I I've managed to secure Southampton tickets but this season has been my best season ever for away fixtures I've managed yes, Brentford Man City Leicester Leeds Forest Wolves Watford, and I've got Chelsea, Southampton, and, and uh, Tottenham coming up. Um, look, we're very conscious of time. Quickly looking at this, we've got um, Arsenal v Tottenham has been re, uh, finally scheduled for the Thursday night, so it means that we've got a long weekend. It's Thursday in the pub for about... Well, I finished work at 5.15, so in the pub for about 5.16 um, and uh, taken Friday off. And it's a, it's a nice long weekend. Um, but that has meant that the Newcastle game has been moved to the, uh, the Monday um, and Leeds was moved to the Sunday. Looking at these fixtures, um, how many points can you see us getting out of there, um, please? Um, how many points can you see Tottenham getting, please, Dan? They've got Villa, Brighton,
1: Tottenham. Uh, I think personally, Tottenham will. They only three games. They could potentially drop points against our Liverpool, Leicester, and Villa. I think they'll get a full house after that. Um, as a uh, with uh, I mean, I don't know why Tottenham have been thrown an extra game there by Blank FC. I mean, that's a bit unfair, isn't it? When do we get to play? That's, blank that, no, that's that. That's uh, to do with no. the trophy
2: room.
1: <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yeah, no, like that. Yeah. Third, like that. Third. Like that. Uh, Bright Arsenal, Brighton, three points. Southampton, three points. Chelsea zero points. Manchester United, three points. West Ham, one point. Leeds, three points. The Scum, one point. Newcastle, three points. And Everton, three points. So I think we'll drop more points than Tottenham, unfortunately.
0: OK, uh, I'd agree with you on most of your predictions, except for West Ham, I would have said, uh, maybe the one where we don't get any points, but I can see us getting some points at Chelsea. One, I'm there, and two, Chelsea um, at the bridge are... Uh, they're, 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 they can be got at, and they're currently 2-0 down against Real Madrid, uh, in the, which is not on in the background. Who's the uh, 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 behind... Real Madrid manager, by the
1: way?
2: Who's the Real Madrid
1: manager? Who is uh, Ancelotti. Ancelotti. Oh, he's he's rubbish. He's washed up. Sorry, go on, <laughs> carry on. <coughs> Somebody I wanted, that's all I was told. He was washed up. He's winning the league and beating Chelsea 2-0 at the Stamford Bridge. Washed up manager. Uh, Next. Owen,
0: you're, uh, move, moving swiftly on. Uh, but <laughs> what do you reckon on this one, Owen?
1: Uh, our fixtures or,
0: or the Spuds? Uh, uh, yeah, who, who, who do you see getting better
2: out of these then, I suppose? Um, to be honest with you, the the, fi- the fixtures are more favourable for their, for them. I think uh, Villa is a tough game for them. Um, I think Brantford could potentially be tough. Leicester is, is, isn't uh, an easy one either. Liverpool are going to get absolutely demolished by them. I expect us to beat uh, Spurs um, because, look, let's face it, we can look at these fixtures and tot the points up all we want, but we all know it is the history of the Tottenham to absolutely bottle it when they... When they get into these types of positions, so I expect nothing, nothing less than Tottenham just to absolutely fall apart, and I can't wait to see that dribbling goon, um, Harry Kane weeping
1: tears Yeah,
2: yeah. No, no. <laughs> Look, I th- I think that even though those were points dropped the other night, that uh, it's still in our hands, and I expect Tottenham to stumble like they always do
0: i think i think points i think points will be dropped uh by ourselves tottenham and and uh, united my fear is and i think it's going to be that tight that goals will be very very important but listen we follow the arsenal I, 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 we Love won't. That. We haven't got any clip. We haven't got any clips of the post match
2: podcast at eleven o'clock. Oh, in the I'm surprised day. I'm
1: still standing there.
2: To be honest, I'm just really <laughs> entertained by how unfazed the check behind you on her phone is. She's just like, "Shut oh, up!" I know. I know. <laughs> well, um, guys, thank you very much, Dan. I know you're
0: jumping on to the podcast shortly, so thank you for your time as always. And I'll see you. I'll oh, see you Saturday. You. I'll see you Saturday. Um, yeah. I think. it's a tolly beforehand
1: i don't know if yeah, I'll... probably will be probably will be mate <laughs> if not i see you in the concourse for this. is it a um three o'clock finally three, Finally finally yeah, three, three o'clock. o'clock oh wow we've only no, had four of those two... this year
0: we've got two <laughs> in a row we've got three o'clock at home oh, and three o'clock away
1: oh, cannot wait um, Although you, i'm really doing... annoyed that newcastle has been moved to a monday That's ruined the whole of my weekend i can't get the tuesday we... off work so i'm screwed I, I, so i'll tell you i'll tell you I'll tell you a quick story so I
0: had to move I booked the hotel uh for the Sunday and I was going to get a ticket by hook or by crook uh whatever taxes I may or may not have to pay I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna get a, t- <laughs> a, t- a, t- a ticket um and uh I I, I cancelled the Monday and I managed to get the Southampton tickets this morning through a contact of mine and thank you very much you know who you are um and uh my my son-in-law my daughter's partner's coming over from um from Germany and he said oh there's some football on that weekend when we go I said like, hey listen to Southampton away oh, got two hopes he's just not getting tickets at the moment for away games i said i'll, I'll put some feelers out of that i messaged him this morning southampton's all sorted said, oh brilliant i'll get you in return to say thank you uh on the 15th of may um the f- last home game for dynamo dresden and it's a derby and i don't know if you've said se- i i didn't put the pictures up but if you go on to uh, I've I- seen I- it's on lost. I, I sent they they have their ultras unreal and I've been in the K block before and it, it's just unreal they have got capos and everything and it's a great atmosphere and I I had the flights ready and booked seventeen quid to fly to Dresden and back on the Saturday back on the Tuesday and I said to my wife I said, I'll book you a ticket as well we'll go see our daughter as well and she went oh, I don't know if I can. I said, look, I'll just book it. It's 20 quid. doesn't matter. We'll just, I'll write it off. Okay, just let me double check and check the diary. She checked the diary. She's got a, a hospital appointment that she's got to go to. And that's the reason I couldn't do the Newcastle one because I could have got the Tuesday off. So I cancelled Newcastle. I now cancelled uh, the, the, the Dynamo Dresden game all on the back of that. So thank you, wife. Owen, um, thank you for joining us as always. Um, uh, your compadre was in the chat. He's um, obviously really, really, really uh, enjoying uh, this. He says is a hell of a panel, except for Fergus Owen and Potsy. Um and he's uh, at Stamford Bridge, um, you know, and uh, you know he's clearly enjoying the game because uh, he's watching this podcast. And said, Owen, <laughs> <laughs>
2: pleasure as always, pleasure as always, lads. Uh, Look, no, uh, the the only person I feel sorry for is 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 Mike's son Jake having to babysit uh, an overgrown fifty nine year old dude. So uh, yeah, oh, sorry, Jake. No pleasure,
0: as always. Waste. <laughs> no worries. Well, at least you got to see Super Kevin Campbell, uh, and uh, it was on all over Twitter on that one. So, mm-hmm. guys, you have been watching Guns and the Yellow Ribbons and Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. If you like what we do, I know there wasn't been a huge number in the in, in viewing us live today, but if you like what we do, uh, you can pick up our audio on all platforms and we're on YouTube as well click the like button let your your mates know uh we're not a big commercial one we're just by arsenal fans for arsenal fans as the, the title says and uh, we really enjoy doing it up the arsenal you've been listening to guns and yellow ribbons an arsenal podcast by arsenal fans for arsenal fans Follow us on Facebook at Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Twitter at Guns and Ribbons, and remember to rate and review us too.